Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So, why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me, and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. And this week I have Abigail Kimpel. Abigail is based in Israel, but originally from New York. And Abigail is someone I have got to know personally over the past few months, and she's just brilliant. And I was so excited to get her onto the podcast. Now, she is a special education teacher. She lectures in college on this exact subject, and she works in private practice specifically on ADHD. And she is also an author of the most wonderful book, which I have sat in front of me with lots of post-it notes and the book is called Hyper Healing, The Empowered Parents Complete Guide to Raising a Healthy Child with ADHD Symptoms. And I know that Abigail is working on her second book, which we will discuss, but I can honestly highly recommend Hyper Healing because I use it for myself, I use it for my clients, my kids, and so it's constantly being looked at and I'm excited to kind of dig a little bit deeper into some of the chapters that really stood out for me. So Abigail, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Kate. It's just a pleasure being here. Really, really fun to talk to you. The book is an amazing deep dive into so many different aspects of parenting a child with ADHD. But it it is also so helpful for, you know, if you are a parent with ADHD, because it's so much of it sort of crosses over. And I think there's so many parents out there that wish they'd read this book, you know, while their kids were still young. And so I think it's a real gift to many parents. So thank you for writing it. Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) The truth is I wrote it because of I needed it when I was a young mom. This is, you know, I I made every messy mistake because I didn't have a guide. I didn't have something I could turn to and say, oh, that's the way to go with that. So, you know, 20 years later, after a bunch of my kids with ADHD are already grown, this is definitely the book I needed. Yeah, it's so often, isn't it, that we realise what we needed as we were younger and now we sort of offer it to the world. But I know there's probably a lot of grateful parents out there. And and I think what this book does, I mean, there's lots of different chapters giving a, I mean, the last bit talks about um, iPad screens technology. And that's just a whole other debate. But I just like the fact that you've really got the most up to date information and advice for parents, because the technology side can be, you know, really tricky to manage, especially when we need our downtime, our kids need our downtime, and just balancing it all. Um, But what I wanted to talk about today, which I think will be really relevant to 
the listeners is, and I, and I said to you just before off, off camera that this isn't a parenting podcast. I want this opportunity for women to listen to this podcast, knowing that they're getting what they need for them. And hopefully by getting that information for them, they then impart it on their family. Their family feels calmer and more balanced while they're, you know, working it all out for themselves. And we talk about this sort of family, but very often we are the first generation that are parenting diagnosed with diagnosed children. You know, 30 years ago, we may have had children, you know, on the cusp of being diagnosed, but there's no way the adult probably would have been diagnosed 30 years ago unless they're really at the forefront. So this is, I guess, is the first generation that has a lot more of the awareness from both sides. How do you see that manifesting in the families that you're working with now that we have this knowledge and this awareness and, and what's it offering us? Well, first of all, you're absolutely correct. This is the first generation where a parent and a child will be diagnosed. And most of the parents are being diagnosed as adults. Mm -hmm. And uh, we really only started big time diagnosing kids in, in the 80s for ADHD as children. So you and I kind of missed that wave a little bit and needed to wait till we were adults to actually get a chance to look at ourselves. What I am seeing on the positive side and the negative side. So let's start with positive. Seeing that people have much more awareness and much more patience for themselves and much more self-love, forgiveness for mistakes they've made, for patterns they see in themselves. And actually we find in the studies themselves that parents who have ADHD themselves are gonna be much more compassionate to their children. And uh, that's a huge plus because children need the patience and the compassion, especially those who are struggling with ADHD symptoms. So a parent who's been diagnosed has, has that advantage to give to their children. On the negative side, we definitely are a society who is very quick to diagnose and diagnosis in some cases can turn into almost an excuse. Oh, you know, that I'm that ADHD parent, I'm that ADHD kid, and therefore, lower the expectations. And when we lower expectations, both on the mother and on the child, then, and, and these are healthy people with these ADHD symptoms, which are challenging. They're definitely present and they're definitely challenging, but these people are able to go very, very far. And we never want the diagnosis itself to, start, to turn into some kind of curse or notion that I can't. You can, and you can in a different way. And you can maybe at a different pace and with better understanding of yourself. But let's never turn that into something that holds you back. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so powerful to hear. And I know that's, you know, a big part of how you work is really focusing on the on the can and being able and really sort of focusing on those strengths. And one of the things that stuck out for me in the book was one of the, um, the chapters and this notion of failure to launch, getting started on things. But that really digs deep into those self-beliefs of, of what you were just saying then of thinking, well, I've got ADHD, so I'm, I shouldn't be able to do this or I'm going to find it hard. And you gave a really great example of a, of a lady that just did, was not happy in her job and, and just didn't think she had any other options. And actually, she wanted to um, be a horse riding therapist. And you opened up a new way of thinking for her that she hadn't even considered can we can we talk a little bit about this this notion of failure to launch, getting started? I, I see it with my clients. I've seen it in myself. How does it manifest when you're a woman 
with a busy family and you've got this realization now that you've got ADHD. Right. So that is something I see all the time. And it's kind of a funny term that I borrowed from other places. And uh, what I see is that people will not get something done. Let's say in the case of this woman, she was just, you know, she was so unhappy and everything just wasn't right in her life. But when I would say to her, let's try to find a different way. And she'd come back the next week and hadn't done anything. And she'd say, well, well, that's because of my ADHD. That's because I, I can't do things. I can't follow through. And I said, one second, there's a reason. There's always a reason you don't get to what you're doing. And we have to figure out what that reason is. Instead of assuming you're a failure, figure out what was that first step that didn't let you get over the threshold. In her case, the first step was seeing herself as incapable of doing this horseback riding therapy and uh, an intimidation of the person she had to call in order to get started. Once she realized that that was it, that's what was plugging her up and not letting her go and not letting her progress into a field she dreamed about, she was able to then say, okay, it's not me. I'm not bad. I'm not lazy. I'm not stupid. I am stuck. And stuck is a whole lot different because we could unstick somebody. And the unsticking was understanding that I'm intimidated, figuring out why, and then going ahead and making that phone call. And from there, you can progress. We tell ourselves story about uh, tell ourselves stories about the way we are and what to expect of ourselves. And in most cases, they're not true. And there's something blocking us that if we can give ourselves the self-love and the patience, we'll find it. Yeah. And I think that definitely stems from maybe the negative comments and remarks that we would have had as children without having that knowledge of ADHD and without probably the school parents having, you know, any idea that there was some form of neurodivergence or learning difficulties going on. And so we definitely absorb all those negative comments to a point where it just gets to a place of, well, I just can't, it's just not going to happen. I'm not that type of person. And that's actually the story with this, with this woman that she was always got the message from extremely loving parents that she just, she just wasn't the follow through type. And what does that mean? That means I can't get things done. When you translate it into adulthood, a mom with a bunch of kids, that means I'm not the person who follows through. Your sister will make dinner because she's very good at, you know, putting, throwing things together. You go play with your friends. So it seems generous. It seems very loving. The parents really understanding the child, but what they're doing over and over again is letting the child know that they can't. And she can. She absolutely can. She just does it differently. Mm, Yeah. I mean, what you just said then about everyone having their role in the house and the parents kind of playing to that role. And even me, and I really think I'm quite aware of these things that my kids all, you know, one of them always sets the table. One of them never sets the table. One of them comes down for dinner on time. The other one never comes for dinner on time. And it is so hard, isn't it, as a parent to keep giving them that opportunity to change and to be a different person and to not kind of keep them in those in those roles, especially as they get older, because you realize the damage or the layers of, 
Oh, I don't know. Just just knowing that they have got the the same stories themselves and how we can just let them have a bit of an even playing field, you know, to do the things that they want to do. Oh, this is the biggest challenge as parents, for sure. And not only that, you know, I, I come from a home that's a little bit more German where you're you're not meant to be sick and you have to be strong and you have to keep chugging. That's the message. And I know that I pass that on to my children and there's this expectation that, that they're also supposed to be strong. And I actually, just right before our conversation, I did a, a mini reversal. I've been aware of it and I've already, you know, I, by the way, there's nothing you can't apologize for and definitely go for and apologize for anything you feel, patterns that you feel that you've set in because children are very happy to receive that. But my daughter sent me a picture of the back of her throat all red. Now she's supposed to be in university. She's supposed to be studying and I'm supposed to be saying, get to class. But I actually, my old self would be saying, get to class. You'll be okay. Drink some tea. And I said, why don't you come on home, honey? I'll take care of you. So we, we can reverse it. But one of our hugest challenges is having the, the more efficient child do the efficient things and the more artistic child do the artistic things and uh, not allowing that even playing field for every for them to feel like they can jump in at any time and choose a different role for themselves. Mm. So, you know, when you were talking about the, we'll go back to that case study of the lady and the, the horse riding therapy, and she just had this block, this, this lack of self-belief that she was the type of person that could maybe go back and study and finish the studying and get the qualifications to do what she wanted to do. Then, I mean, we're told with ADHD that the block is very often sort of, you know, neurological. We have got parts of our brains that are working slightly differently, which do sometimes prevent us from being able to get over the threshold, say, like a, a someone else that doesn't have these challenges. At what point can we bypass the neurological side and really kind of go, yes, I'm acknowledging that I've got ADHD and I'm acknowledging that it's difficult but this is a belief system. This is something that I can work with. This is, you know, and we, we know about neural pathways and neuroplasticity, that things can change in our brain. So I think what you're saying before is that we sometimes use the ADHD as a way to, I don't know if it's self-sabotage, but it is a bit of an excuse, isn't it? And it's easier to just get, oh, well, now I know, so I don't have to do that. But the the harder, but the most rewarding way is going, right, I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to do it in a different way and hope that I still get the same results. You know, it's say it's to do with qualifications and going back to university, you know, whether I need to have a, you know, some go to the university and get um, some technology to help me kind of decipher the lectures. There are so many different ways, but it's that kind of in-between stage of, the neuro side and the self-belief and the mindset. Is that how you help people to sort of acknowledge what they're going through, but help them with the mindset? Well, interestingly, actually, I spend a bunch of time in book two in, in the Show Me the Science book, which will be published pretty soon, uh, talking about the neural side. And the truth of the matter is that the neural side is not necessarily as set in stone science as we would hope to believe. ADHD symptoms exist 100%, but most of the time what we're seeing is that it is a lack of habits, 
and the lack of habits in a healthy person. Why is that? It's different types of people and different types of personalities. The personality that we're talking about, which usually fits with ADHD, would be that instant gratification personality, which on the one hand has real fire to it. And uh, the, the person is interested in everything and uh, has much more curiosity and is kind of living on the edge of a little bit of danger and a little bit of, is this fun? Is this interesting? Is this uh, cool? Is this? But they have a terrible time with follow through. So yes, that person is going to have a much harder time getting a task done, but they will have a much easier time engaging their environment, perhaps speaking to people that, speaking to strangers, speaking to adults, being dropped in a foreign city and being able to find their way around, things like that. So on the one side, you have the challenge, which is lack of habits, which is a huge challenge and it's impossible to live without habits. You and I as mothers know this. You must have your habits in order. But if you are an instant gratification kind of mom, you're going to have a much harder time figuring out how to set routines and how to be organized with the hours that you do certain things. And dinner time is kind of way too spontaneous and, uh, and not helpful to anybody. But on the other hand, you might be more spontaneous with going out on hikes with your kids or uh, much more flexible with the way you communicate with them or more creative in your communication or in the way you see the world. So it's really a balancing act. So the, what I work with people on is helping them create healthy habits because they're way behind, just like you said. They are way behind and they need help with those habits. So very slowly, we build up the crucial habits. Let, let's say we would start with getting to bed on time. And this is also for adults. Once you've gone to bed at the same time for about a month, you actually have created a habit and you've strengthened your brain. You're talking about the neural pathways. You've created a neural pathway because you have a new habit now. So it is more tedious to create habits, but then on the other hand, it might be less tedious to have clever ideas and be creative and, uh, and think out of the box and, and mm. other things like that, which another person who's very boxy kind of thinker would have a harder time with. So that's so interesting. So it for your new book, and, and you've really kind of researched the science. So what part of the neurological side is not as strong in the in the evidence as we thought it was? Um, most of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know that a lot of people get that comfort. They do get the comfort know. knowing that, you know, they've had the diagnosis and then the psychiatrist has explained about the synapses and the, um, you know, the fact that we've got lower levels of dopamine. And I'm not a sciencey person, but I, I know that there's, you know, there's parts of the brain that can be identified as an ADHD brain. So are you saying that this isn't, this evidence isn't as strong as we thought it was? Yeah, 100%. It is not anywhere near as strong as we thought it was. And, and a little bit, I don't need I don't need a proof because it, I don't need to convince anyone. The truth is that if you've been diagnosed with ADHD, what's important is progressing and figuring out how you work and how your brain works and what's best for you in, in order to do great in the world. So it's not this is less important to me. It's important for me personally because I like to know the studies and I like to know the truth and I love the science part of it. But in 2017, they were still running studies to do scans on brains to see if uh, the ADHD brain is different than the regular brain or the normative. That's not regular and not regular. Normative is the correct phrasing here. 
So keeping in mind that they started scanning the brain with CT scans in 1978. That's a long time ago. Then they moved to MRI and then fMRI. And that's where we are now. Uh, they still don't have conclusive evidence. And in this 2017 study, they only found that 5% of children with that had been diagnosed with ADHD had some kind of altered brain, but they weren't 100% sure if that altered brain was a pathological problem or if it was just a different variant of a healthy brain. So even, in, and it was a tremendous study, thousands of children were involved. I don't know if it was a well, uh, well-developed study because there were certain things they did not consider, such as previous medication. They, they, they kind of threw all the children in together. So therefore, we can't figure out if there's a confounding um, part of this, which would be maybe a brain that's, that has been taking medication for a while looks different than a brain that hasn't. So in terms of that, they did not consider that. But even then, if you took a room full of 100 children and uh, who are all diagnosed with ADHD, only 5% of them, only five of them would have a scan that looked different. And the, in the conclusion of the study, after concluding that it is absolutely conclusive that kids with ADHD have, have uh, neurological differences in five areas of their brain, the author of the study, Martine Hugman, she actually said, and there's absolutely no way, not within the study, but when she was responding to people who reviewed her study, she said there's absolutely no way to be able to tell if a person has ADHD or not based on brain scans. We are a society that tests everything. We do blood tests, we do urine tests, we do stool tests. We're always scanning things because we want to get to the bottom of what's going on with people. We do not have a brain scan for ADHD. If it was conclusive and that was the way we could really identify someone based on a brain scan, then we'd be using a brain scan. Mm, yeah. Do you know, it's, it's so fascinating because the more evidence and research that's coming out that we're hearing you know so many different things about you know the neurological side but also the behavioral side it's hard isn't it to know because I always believe and I and I evident sort of I'd say anecdotally and I see it with clients and my family that genetically ADHD is very present you know if, oh, for if, sure for sure you, yeah if you've got ADHD chances are at least one of your parents is going to have it or a cousin or an auntie or a grandparent it's it's there and were you open to the idea that it can be brought on by trauma by surroundings by your environment what what kind of I'd say percentage if you if you can't identify the ADHD in your family where else can it manifest from Right. Well, first of all, I'm in complete agreement with you that there's a very strong genetic component here. And of my six children, most of them have been diagnosed with ADHD and their father is definitely has all the ADHD symptoms in, in, in the most positive sense of it. Um, but so percentage wise, I couldn't tell. I would say that the genetic aspect of it would be this personality the instant gratification personality, which again is not uh, pathological, but it is, it, we see certain behavioral patterns. But ADHD essentially, as far as I see it, is a clash between a person and their environment. So if a person has a, a instant gratification personality, they're always clashing with their environment because their environment expects them to have good habits. But that's only one part. And the other part is a child who, you know, God forbid, is physically abused or or traumatized in some way, kids in, living in a war zone, 
we, we see that in certain areas of Israel that are constantly at, at war along the, the Gaza border, that those kids will certainly have more ADHD symptoms and other issues than, than other children. Uh, we'll also see it in other environmental factors like screen time, like way too much screen time or a lack of sleep. So your environment is not providing you with enough sleep. You and I have both been after birth. And I, you know, I remember that I barely remember that that time period because I don't think I could string two words together when you know I was up up all night nursing a baby and then and then people wanting sandwiches in the morning. So therefore there's there's many, many environmental factors that will cause all of the symptoms of ADHD. And I always find it funny when people say, well, is that really ADHD or is it not? Are we, are we missing the diagnosis? No, of course not. It's all really ADHD because real ADHD is a list of symptoms. And if that person is struggling with that symptom, with those symptoms, then that means that they're having these behaviors that have to be addressed. Yeah. So what you're saying is something that I've um, read about by Gabor Mate. Um, who yeah. is yeah who is a an amazing doctor hungarian who was a child of holocaust survivors but what happened was he was only a young baby when he escaped um hungary i think it was and his mum had to give him up for a few weeks he had to go somewhere I, i'm not 100% sure on the exact story but i know that his mum couldn't look after him because it was right in the depths of the war and so he knows from the age of six months that his brain, his brain was kind of cottoning on to the fact that he'd been neglected, he'd been abandoned. And he believes that that's kind of where his ADHD is stemmed from. But what's happened is he's got children now with ADHD and he um, is a self-professed um, workaholic. And he basically dedicated his whole life to his career. He's a very successful physician who got diagnosed with ADHD, I think, in his mid-50s. And now that's the main body of his work. But I'm not 100% sure if I agree with his, you know, the notion that he doesn't believe it's genetic. But he thinks that his children have got ADHD because he wasn't a present father. And he neglected his children for the sake of his career as well. And they had this same kind of feeling, even though it wasn't in the same traumatic way as the Holocaust and, you know, war, but they still were neglected and abandoned by the father. I would love to uh, have a conversation with him about that because there is another factor here, which we call epigenetics. Exactly. And uh, I would love to hear his thoughts on that because it, it could be that his parent, that he neglected his children because he was so into his career and because of all of his post-Holocaust stories that he wasn't able to maybe bond with his children appropriately. But they, they, I'm assuming they also had another parent. Yeah. That, so I don't, I don't know that that would be the only explanation I would give to that. But I certainly would look at, we see third generation Holocaust survivors and we're calling them third generation because their trauma has been passed on through the genetic, through the epigenetics for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and he definitely touches on that. So his book is called Scattered Minds. um, And he's very eminent in this field. It's really worth reading, but there's a YouTube video. So if you, you kind of want to just get to the essence of that, I'll try and post it on the show notes, but that it really explains how the trauma side, he believes, you know, how his brain kind of develops from that. And, and 
because we see people thriving with ADHD. You know, you mentioned your husband that he has all the ADHD traits and, and symptoms, but he thrives off it. And we have other people who haven't thrived at all. And it's been hugely debilitating to their lives. And I wonder if the main component to that is the way we were brought up, the way we were parented, you know, the socioeconomic status, the schooling. There's so many factors that even if you haven't got ADHD, our environment and our upbringing, you know, really kind of guides us. And it's it's very strong minded individuals with an, in, an intense self-belief that managed to override their conditioning and their upbringing to get that success. So would you say that the environment, you know, especially the way we're parenting is so crucial to a child with ADHD, but also for us to recognize, I mean, I talk about lifestyle and well-being all the time because I know that's what helps me. I know that I think if I wasn't so conscious about my own well-being, my ADHD would probably have been really, I would have been very badly affected by it. Just wondered what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I'm, I mean, good for you for taking care of yourself and, and making sure that your lifestyle and uh, and the things you need are in place. That is so important. I tell women all the time, get help. You're no hero for pairing your own socks. It's fine. Get someone else to do it and use your own creative juices for, for things that propel you forward. And uh, that's just one example of, of being able to take care of ourselves as women. But definitely the environment is absolutely crucial. And I don't even know that it's necessarily the individual that has these ADHD symptoms, that they have to be such strong individuals that, and therefore they manage to make it through. I think it's much more the messaging from their environment, which is everybody struggles with something. Your struggle is with focusing. Your struggle is not with sports. So you're going to excel at sports and you're going to excel at volunteering and you're going to do, you're going to really do great there. And this area you need help with. So when it's framed that way, the person is self-empowered. And where I see the people that, that really suffer the most are the people that came from a home where they were not empowered where they were, they were coddled or the parents had way too much sympathy for them. And it's something I see all the time. If we treat, if we feel sorry for our children, we really turn them into sorry children. And then they become sorry adults. And so it's not necessarily that my husband was, uh, he's a very strong person for sure. He's got a powerful personality, but Let's say he was in an environment where his parents always felt sorry for him instead of saying, you're amazing. You go out there and you get it and you do great and you're going to excel. And then he went ahead and did that with all the challenges. And he had so many challenges. He could not sit in his seat. He told me that when he was a little kid, he actually traced his shoes onto the floor in his classroom so that he would physically have to place his feet there and make them not move. And, and this is the way he was able to get through the class. And, uh, and he got tons of criticism from his teachers. But the criticism is saying, we know you could do it and you're, you're loafing off. So on the one hand, there's the you can do it. On the other hand, is that we all struggle with something. Let's figure out how to get you through the thing you're struggling with. 
and and that raises us some incredibly healthy adults. And that's something that I try to impart to my own children. And I had a very sweet conversation with with one of my sons who definitely has ADHD symptoms and also dyslexia. And uh, I used to take him to the special program uh, once a week. I had you know the day off, and it was just with him. Uh, it was nice, but he had to work hard. And uh, I dropped him off one day at back at school. And as he's jumping out of the car, he says, you know, mom, I'm working really hard now, but when I grow up, I'm going to be stronger than my friends. Do you know why? And I said, why are you going to be stronger than your friends? He says, because I'm going to know how to overcome challenges. And that's it. If he's empowered himself, then he's growing out of these ADHD symptoms. And not as he only growing out of it, he's going to take the good in the ADHD symptoms, which he's doing already at the age of 16. He's, he's creative. He's talented. Everything he touches becomes beautiful. And that's the part of the ADHD he's dragging along with him mm-hmm. while he's learned to sit in class and to get some and to get his assignments done. It's not perfect by any means, but he's definitely taking the journey to build those, those habits. Oh, that's, I love that story. And while you were, you were talking about that, I know you've got a chapter in the book all about the power of the compliment, which I really, really enjoyed because it's all about positive parenting, but also we can harness all of that for ourselves because giving compliments sometimes just doesn't come naturally. It's so much easier to criticize and it's so much easier to criticize ourselves. And what you are talking about in this chapter is how our brains absorb negative comments much easier and we remember them and the good comments and the positive positivity and the and the compliments somehow don't stick what what is that all about why do we hold on to the negative comments and and the good stuff just kind of dissolves i wish i had a great answer for that i think it's genetic i think <laughs> it's evolutionary yeah, uh, I th- I think that you know when I imagine the the cave times, I imagine being a mother of six kids living in a cave, and the amount of da- danger all around us all the time. Like any any old minute, someone's going to fall off the mountain. So I have a sense that it was an evolutionary development where we had to be looking out for danger all the time, and we had to be noticing the negative in order to keep ourselves safe and alive. That's my sense. Do I have proof for that? No, but uh, you're just thinking it through. But what I do see is that it really works. And I actually give an example there. Let's say you're making a beautiful meal. I don't, I don't know how much you like to cook. I'm, I'm okay with it. I do it all day, every day. So at some point I'm going to have to like it. And you make this beautiful meal and you have all the guests and your husband looks at the meal and he says, wow, this was tasty and colorful and delicious and, and healthy. Well done. And, and what was with the, the chicken? It was, it, did you buy it someplace else? It was, it was a little bit drier than usual. New recipe or something? And everything he said beforehand is gone. It's just like yeah. he just shot every single one of those compliments to, to bits. And, uh, and, that's, and that's the way our brains work. And we do that to ourselves all the time. I'm a loser. I'm never going to make it. And like you did, let's say I, I gave a, a lecture. and. 25 people wrote a great review on the lecture and three felt like it needed something more. So I have a choice right now. My brain's going to go to the three, but we're not here just to be, you know, responsive to what we're packed with. We're here to overcome that. We're here to become greater than that. 
And the more we go to, I'm a loser, by the way, the more we're going to have this fixed personality of who I am instead of being in a journey. I'm not a loser. I did great. And there's something here that needs fixing. And that is a very balanced, healthy way to look at it. And, and the truth is that when we go, I'm a loser or I'm, I'm a failure, I'm never going to do well. What we've done is thrown ourselves on the floor, bloody. And, you know, we, we can't even look at what happened to see if there's anything we could fix because we must rush ourselves to the emergency room right now. But if we say it's kind of like the difference between falling off of a building and falling off the sidewalk, you know, I fall off the sidewalk, I've twisted my ankle. Okay. I'm going to sit up. That hurts. And I'm going to figure out how to not trip off the sidewalk anymore. But if I've fallen off the building, I'm so bloody, I can't even look at the situation and learn from it. So we either get to choose between failing or putting ourselves in a learning process and finding the good and complimenting ourselves for what we have succeeded at is going to propel us forward. Mm, yeah, I think what I was resonating with is that you can come from a family that where criticisms just flow and the compliments oh, yeah. are few and far between. And that just basically kind of teaches and models to us that that's just the way we need to speak to ourselves. You know, if we've been criticized and we see our parents criticizing other people all the time, then we just think that's the default way of living is just being critical mode. So we're never going to be complimentary about ourselves, but then that goes forward to our children as well and and it is it's like relearning it's breaking those generational habits the cycles recognizing that the compliments are going to reap the the rewards and the criticism isn't and I have to always go back to this because there, there has been I do remember sort of criticism going on in my house and so I have to I have it has been a, a learning process for me to kind of flip that that script a little bit and what's funny is that my husband in his business he kind of is the operations side so he deals a lot with the employees he's the person that you know he goes in and does the feedback and he has always said to me from a very beginning stage of our family life he's like you're not going to get the best out of our children if you're going to criticize them you know, that's not going to, you go in there and you tell them what a mess their room is and tell them what a, you never, they never pick up towels, but then you forget to give them the compliments. Oh, I noticed that you made your bed, even though you've left the towel on the floor. I can see that. So I, it, for me, it's a complete new way of speaking, but it has slowly changed and I am starting to be more complimentary towards myself. And, and I really hope that I'm modeling that to my children. But sometimes I have to stop myself. I can feel the words coming out to my children and it's hard. But you know what? This parenting journey, you know, no one's perfect. And I think no matter how many books you read and, you know, courses that you do, you're still going to say things that are going to be mean and horrible. Yes. Yes, we will. And we have to forgive ourselves also for that. We have to leave space for being human and, and a big space for it. Because like I said before, we can always apologize and we do have down moments. We have tired, angry, we're feeling bad about ourselves moments and then all sorts of stuff comes out. And But we must learn, force ourselves to learn to be complimentary. And it's so important that I actually tell people at the beginning to set some kind of timer when they're talking about either themselves or their children, a timer three times a day to stop themselves and say, hmm, what am I proud of right now? 
and look around them and look around the kids, look in the mirror at themselves and say something out loud that makes them feel good and never, ever add the negative. Ah, you, you made your bed and your dirty socks are still on the floor. I, we want to just focus on the positive. And it's even stronger with our ADHD kids because they need a lot of attention. If this is instant gratification, then they want your attention. They want it now. They want it strong. They want it emotional. If you are the sort who's going to yell quickly, then they'll be sure to trigger you to yell as fast as possible because they want your strong attention. Now, of course, they're not doing this on purpose. It's just an emotional need of theirs to have you paying all of your attention to them. So if you're that type that they can trigger, they will trigger and trigger. And it's like a little button to get, let's see how many times we can get mom to yell in the next hour. And then there's the other side. If we can make a choice to switch our emotional energy, our loud voice, our smile, our enthusiasm to a compliment they're going to start pressing that button. I want that from mom. And uh, and it works like magic. It's hard work, but it works like magic. And it has to be deliberate because we are wired to not do this. So let's overcome that. Yeah. And I think that's what you just said there. We're wired to not do that. We have to overcome it. That is, you know, once we get that diagnosis, the awareness of, of the ADHD or like, you know, the ADHD symptoms, we then have to overcome so much. It's the relearning. And, and I think that's what happens when, especially when women come to me and I get like an initial email. And funnily enough, this kind of goes back to the compliments that I get a lot of emails from women saying, you know, can I chat to you? Can, we, can I book in some sessions? And they give me their, and I love it, their life story in an email. And it is peppered with all the negative stuff every you know every bit of the the challenges they face and the things that you know haven't gone well and the things they're struggling with obviously they're going to come to me because they have these challenges but what I don't see enough of is well actually I I finished this so actually I've achieved that and despite these challenges I know I'm a good mum and I just it would be so lovely to be able to see some more of those messages of women who are actually acknowledging that they do have challenges, but this is all the cool stuff that I've done despite them. But there is a way of doing that where we can just do and focus on those the stuff that lifts us, lifts us up. But it is, it's quite hard work to get to that place. It's very hard work. And uh, we also have these notions about ourselves. And especially if we have a background with any kind of neglect or abuse, that gets even harder because we see ourselves as kind of being present in order to serve others. And uh, if we see ourselves as that person, then I'm supposed to be gracious and kind and allow everybody to come visit my home and all that stuff and, and, and never complain about it because I am kind of a conduit to other people's enjoyment. And that's something that we have to get in touch with as women specifically and as adults that are we... Uh, neglecting our inner voice. Our inner voice is saying, that person rubs me the wrong way. That person drains my energy and doesn't make me feel loved and cared for. And then spending time with people, I, I, I'm not into the cutting people out thing. I, I think that lands up being very ugly, but spending, choosing to spend my time with people that give me energy and that we have a shared, beautiful relationship. 
but we have to kind of look at that. And if you have been abused or neglected in any way or have faced some kind of trauma, this is going to be particularly challenging for you. And it's something worth every second of your attention. I am not here to serve others. I am here to find my own internal strength and reach my greatness. Now, part of our greatness as mothers is through our mothering as well. And, and we're taking a journey with our fam, with our, our spouse, with our children, and we are becoming greater from that. But it's not because I'm, I'm serving them. It's because we're linking arms and we're journeying together. Yeah. I think what is interesting is that sometimes if we don't have the evidence that we've not seen that in our family, like we've seen suffering and being like a martyr is, is just the way, like we've seen it with our mother and our grandmother, right. then we don't know any different. So for us, that's just way of life. And, you know, when we get this new mindset of someone turning around and go, actually, life's meant to be fun. Life's meant to be good. Life <laughs> yeah. is meant to be, you know, exciting and evolving. And yes, there's going to be challenges, of course. But like you say, if there has been trauma and neglect and, lots of sadness, then it is really hard to wire our brains to look for something that we have no evidence could actually work because our family doesn't operate like that. So it's, it's, I think maybe we just have to acknowledge that, you know, this, this work, this inner work is not easy, but there are rewards for it. And just because we haven't seen it before doesn't mean that it can't happen. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, very rewarding process. And I, I absolutely love working with adults and them getting to that aha moment. Ah, it wasn't me that was bad. It was this circumstance that was holding me back and I can progress. I can do better than that. And I can find my patterns and then change them. It's a beautiful process but it requires a lot of deliberate work. It doesn't happen on its own. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And I, and I want to leave it there, Abigail, because I think I love leaving it on a positive note because that I think it's really inspiring that we can make these choices. Can you tell people if they, you know, they're listening to this conversation and they'd like to work with you, how do you work and what have you got planned in the future? Okay. Well, people certainly can reach out to me through my website, which is hyperhealing.org. And obviously, they can they can certainly take a look at my book, which is on Amazon. And I work with, and people can write directly to me through the website. And I'm always happy to get back to people. And I work with people one on one, either working with parents of children with with ADHD symptoms, and I'm kind of turning the parent into a coach for their child, or with adults themselves, where we uncover all the layers that were causing the pain, the difficult symptoms, and we start figuring out how to move forward in a much more healthy way. So it's it's a very rewarding, beautiful process. And and I love I love the the challenge and the opportunity to work with people. And uh, for the future, first of all, next book's coming out. I think that might rustle a few ruffle a few feathers, perhaps, because um, it's a slightly different take on on this whole thing. But I also would like to be able to reach out to families. Actually, the reason I wrote the book was because what I was seeing is that I was able to really help people through groups and through individual uh, meetings. But it's expensive. A lot of people can't afford it. And not only that, when a child's diagnosed, a parent's not often told that there's other treatments available. 
And they're basically told, this is a diagnosis, something wrong with the brain, and here's your prescription. Some doctors are more nuanced. And I, I know that in England, I've actually heard some good things that, that there are doctors that are more sensitive and will offer other things, will recommend uh, other types of, of treatments. But usually, again, those treatments are hard to find and, and hard to pay for. So I felt like every single parent, no matter what your budget is and what money you have in your bank account, you should be able to have a high quality treatment plan. And so I just kind of put my entire plan into the book. So you don't even have to necessarily reach out to me. Brilliant. So I will make sure I put all the links in, in the show notes so people can you know buy your book. Um, Abigail, thank you so much. It's been a real honor and a delight to chat to you. And I think we've covered some really interesting subjects today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It was really a great conversation. So that's today's episode done. Did what we talk about resonate with you? I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time.